saw on the news the other day that the average, this is average now, so the average American family, which would be, I guess, two adults and 2.3 children or something like that, uh, the average American family is spending an extra $493 a month than this time last year. So that's where your money's been going. You've been wondering about that, right? So, so and another way to put it is the average American family has almost $500 less a month to use for their disposable income. As you know, you have fixed costs and variable costs, and so uh, some of the fixed costs are even rising, and then you have what you is left over, and so you have less money to live on. And so, of course, we know this is attributed to gas prices, record inflation. So unless you just have unlimited resources, uh, everyone in here today is probably feeling that squeeze on some level. So many Americans are struggling uh, financially. And, and, and there's a phrase out there that some people say when they're struggling, and they, you may have heard it. They say that uh, they're on the struggle bus. You ever heard anyone say that before? Maybe you have. Uh, I've heard people say, I'm on the struggle bus this morning. And so, you know, I went on Facebook and, and asked what people thought that meant. What do you think this phrase meant when you say, you're on the struggle bus because obviously it's a metaphorical uh, uh, phrase. And, and here's some of the responses that people said. One said that it means nothing is going right for them so far that day. Or maybe they just really tired because they stayed up too late. Uh, some said that maybe it means they're struggling through life, maybe emotionally, financially, or even spiritually. One said that it means that they're, they, they're sabotaged at every turn or they're running late for the day and then someone said maybe it means they didn't get to make their morning coffee run and uh, I think a lot of times when, when people say they're on the struggle bus they, it, is a, it is a tiredness kind of issue they're tired in, in some way tired just because maybe they didn't get enough sleep tired from life or just run down they just need a break you know Christians are not immune from this we can get this way in our lives and, and we can get this way in our spiritual life as well the Bible never tells us that following Jesus will be easy. Did you know that? Never tells us it'll be easy. It tells us it'll be good. It tells us following Jesus will be worth it. But it never tells us it will be easy. In fact, following Jesus can be exhausting at times. It can lead you in places that you wouldn't ordinarily go or be. And today we're looking at a, a passage of Scripture where Paul, writing to the Colossians, was not in his study uh, he was not at a coffee shop. Uh, he was not in his home. He was writing in a prison. And why was he in a prison? Well, because simply because he was a Christian who was spreading the gospel. However, his, his personal struggle, being confined with, with no freedom, God used his struggle to give us this wonderful letter book of the Bible. So what can we do? When we're on the spiritual struggle bus, we read our Bibles, we pray, we come to worship, but we still might be struggling. So today we're going to look at what we can do when we're following Christ, but we're still in the struggle. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery 
hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship today, I pray that you speak through me today, that your words are mine, that you fill me with your spirit, that we will be able to to see, Lord, that those of us who are struggling today spiritually, what we can do in the struggle, Father, be with us and show us in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are three things we can do. Three things we can do when we're struggling in our walk with Jesus. First, uh, we can rejoice in the struggle. Seems counterintuitive. I don't know who is rejoicing today with high gas prices. Who's rejoicing when you go to the supermarket? You know, I, I was going to get some bread the other day, and I said, I wonder how much gluten-free bread is. It was $34. I'm joking. It wasn't that much. It was $7.5. I said, well, there goes my gluten-free diet idea, right? Can't afford that. So, so, but in the struggle, we, we rejoice. Right, look what Paul says in verse 24. He says, verse 24, now I complain in my sufferings. Oh, wait, that's not what he said. <laughs> now I rant in my sufferings. Nope. What's he say? Rejoice in my sufferings. Well, Paul really must have lost his mind in prison. Is that what we're thinking? Or no, he did not. He was writing this letter in Roman prison. He was suffering for Christ. That was his struggle. He wasn't throwing a pity party. I'm sure he had down days, but this day as he wrote, he had the Colossian church on his mind, and he remarks that in his sufferings he was rejoicing. Why? Because through his suffering, God was using that to be able to encourage this church and warn them of heresy. You know, suffering was a common theme in Paul's letter. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. In Christ, even if we go through suffering for his sake, we will never be permanently destroyed. We have hope and joy in Jesus. Interesting thing about joy is it's rooted in humility. It's rooted in humility. When we think that we, we somehow deserve better circumstances or that we should be treated better than we've been treated or are being treated, then we, we, we could very easily lose sight of the blessings we have in Christ Jesus. One pastor said that, that circumstances, people, in worry. Circumstances, people, in worry are the thieves that are eager to steal the joy from the Christian. True joy is an unwavering confidence that, that ultimately God is still in your life and in control even as you suffer. Paul says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is 
the church. What this is saying is that Paul was suffering specifically here for Jesus. Christ had ascended to heaven. So now Paul was, was being persecuted because of his association with Jesus. If you're a Christian, at some point in your life, you will suffer for Christ. It could be economic suffering. It could be social suffering. It could be relational suffering. But you're, you'll suffer, but Jesus is worth it. Look at 2 Corinthians 1. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. In other words, you will suffer for, for your, your faith, but you will be abundant in Christ in your faith. You will face abundance in your faith. For the Christian, however, we often, or not what we often, we should reclassify our idea of what abundance is. It's not what our culture tells us abundance is. It's not what our neighbor tells us what abundance is. It's not what the advertisers tell us on, on social media and television what abundance is. It is our joy in Christ. And when we live in that abundance of Christ, we are comforted no matter our struggle. So to this, we know, knowing that our suffering has purpose in life. So we rejoice in the struggle. Secondly, not only do we rejoice in the struggle, we serve in the struggle. We serve in the struggle. Paul is in prison and he starts talking about how he ministers to the church, how he serves the church. He says in verse 25, well, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Paul suffers for the church and this is one of the reasons, he says, that God had called him to ministry, to suffer for the saints. I bet if you went down to the seminaries and asked them, why do you think God has called you to preach or to, to pastor? Very few would say, to suffer for the saints. Most would say, well, I want God to use me to do big things for his kingdom, or, or I want God to, to, I want to be able to preach God's word and, and see people saved, or I want to, to witness to people. Very few people would say, I just want to suffer for God's people. But that's what Paul says. Now, he may not have realized this when he was called, but you remember what Jesus said when he called Saul, made him Paul? He said, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. For the saints. That was his specific calling. Remember, he was a murderer. He was, a, he was a, someone who arrested Christians and murdered them. And so he says that his calling in this, in this part uh, was to suffer for them. This is part of his stewardship. He was called to, to, to manage, so to speak, someone else's possessions. That's what minister means, the stewardship to manage someone's possessions. If you have a steward, they manage your possessions. Well, what is he managing? He's managing God's possessions. Well, what, what, who's God's possessions? God's people. You are God's possession. God's church. So Paul is stewarding that. That's why Paul doesn't tell the people whatever they want to hear. Because they're not his people. They're God's people. So he gives them not Paul's word, but God's word. 
Because the people of God belong to God. They don't belong to Paul. They don't belong to me. They don't belong to you. They don't belong to anyone. They belong to God. So the people of God need God's word. And he says, to make the word of God fully known. That was his primary focus. Not the word of Paul, the word of God, making it known. He didn't get bogged down in other matters of ministry that he wasn't called to complete. He had a singular focus in this regard, and he did it. You didn't see him dabbling into politics. You didn't see him dabbling into culture wars. He preached the word because he was the minister and the steward of the word's people. That's what he did. He says in verse 26 that the minister, this mystery was hidden for ages and generations, but now it's been revealed to his saints. He says that God's plan of salvation had, has been progressively revealed. The, the Old Testament people, they, they looked forward to the promise of the Messiah. Those living in Jesus' time saw and experienced the living Messiah, but now we in the church age, we learn and place our faith in the risen Messiah. The truth that he came and he died and he rose. And so Paul serves the church this way to make sure they understand there is a risen Savior, there is a, there is a supreme God, and his name is Jesus. That was his focus. You may have heard of a woman missionary named Elizabeth Elliot. She's a 20th century Christian author. It's kind of weird to say someone was a 20th century Christian author. But she was author and speaker. And her first husband, you may have heard, Jim Elliott, was killed in 1956 along with some other missionaries while attempting to make contact with the Aka people of what is now eastern Ecuador. After he was killed, she spent two years there with the same tribe as a missionary, leading some of those actual tribe people to Christ for two years. And she did this after her husband was killed with a 10-month-old baby. Can you imagine See a lot of young mothers talk about being on the struggle bus. Imagine this struggle bus. A widow with a 10-month-old in Ecuador. Her husband's been killed. And she's witnessing to these tribe members. Even in her struggle, Elizabeth Elliot served the Lord because her calling was to make the word of God known. Now, God has not called every one of us to live that type of life. But he has called every one of us to live a type of life serving him. As a Christian, one of the best things you can do for yourself when you're struggling is to serve. Is to serve. You can greet people as they come to church. As long as you have a smile on your face, you can greet people. <laughs> no frowny greeters. You can sing in the choir. You can deliver meals to our homebound. You can serve in our media and our audiovisual department. You can call church members on the phone and check on them. You can visit them. You can put others' needs above your own for a minute. This, this evening, I'm going to be laughing, and you're going to be serving me by performing on stage. <laughs> and I'm going, to be, I'm going to be content and living in abundance as I see people I know and love doing things that I can't do. You can serve the church. When you're struggling, use it as an opportunity to put yourself in the back seat and serve the church. 
And number three, we can mature in the struggle. We rejoice in our struggle. We serve. And as we're doing this, we're maturing. There's times in our lives where we want to be mature. You know, when you're 14, 15, 16, you want to be mature enough to, to drive and then you want to be mature enough to, to maybe graduate high school or do something and, or work. And then, and then you realize you're maturing too fast. And then, you, and then you want to turn the clock back. Wait a second. I peaked about six years ago. What happened to that? Now it's downhill. And, 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 and so sometimes in our life we, we, we want to mature and then sometimes we don't. But as a Christian, spiritually, you always want to be maturing. You don't want to go backwards. You don't want to turn the clock back. You want to mature in the struggle. Verse 27, Paul writes, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, these are the, the lost people, how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The, the mystery of the riches of the glory of God uh, of the gospel is only fully understood, only really comprehended by those who know Jesus Christ. We can tell people why we're Christians. We can tell people that we're Christians and tell people about Jesus. But if they don't know Christ, they can't really comprehend the mystery of the glory of the riches of Jesus. Only God's people know that. And the more we know him, the more we realize it, the more we, we follow him. See, when you first place your faith in Jesus, you're not really all sure of what you're doing, quite honestly. You know that you need a Savior. You know that, that the way you've been living is not working. But as you grow in Christ and you mature in him, then more of this of God's plan, as Paul was talking about, uh, and salvation becomes evident. And it leads us to verse 28. So then him we proclaim, warning everyone. And teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal of the church in making disciples is that we all continue to mature. We need to grow old spiritually. Now the church should have all ages spiritually in it. Babies, teenagers. You're a man, a teenage Christian, they're hard. Teenagers, spiritually speaking, on up the ladder. We don't need a church full of baby Christians. That would be a disaster. We don't need a church full of nothing but mature Christians because they're not leading anybody to Christ. You need a church across the board, spiritually speaking. But what should be happening is that each one should be growing. Each one should be maturing. In him we proclaim, he says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We may present everyone mature in Christ. We proclaim Jesus Christ. To proclaim Jesus means to, to tell of a completed truth. What was this truth? That, that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, that your sin has been forgiven, that we receive his salvation. We will not perish, we will have everlasting life this isn't an opinion this isn't a way to eternal life it's the truth it's the way and then we are to warn everyone and teach everyone so that all may grow mature 
in Christ. This is our job. We're never meant to be saved apart from community. We grow together in community. Individualized Christianity is something we've made up in Western society. It's actually an outgrowth of liberal theology. We're not saved to ourselves. We're saved in community for a reason, so that we can mature in Christ. We can be honest with each other and help each other in our struggles. If there's sin, we identify it. We help other people grow in grace. Verse 29, for this, he says, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul toiled, he labored. This means to work to the point of exhaustion. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, are they servants of Christ? Talking about false apostles. I'm a better one. He says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's worse than a country song. Everything happened but his dog dying. That was his toil. Maturing in Christ means you will work, you will labor, you will toil, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it. This struggling, what we talked about, refers sometimes to competing in an event, an athletic event. We get our word agonizing from this. And one of the best feelings in life, whether it's athletics or not, is when you face adversity and then you rise to the occasion. You're tired, you're beat, but you dig down and you win. And that's what, what makes a champion. And in Christ, we're all spiritual champions. Because in Christ, we have this power to overcome anything that he puts in us. We have this ability to dig down deep in him, rely on him, and overcome anything that life throws at us. So, if we're on the spiritual struggle bus, remember... We can get off it. <laughs> we can rejoice. We can continue to come to worship. We can serve. And we can mature in the struggle. Mature in the struggle. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. As we mature, the grace of God is with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've given us in Christ Jesus today. As we close our time together, Lord, we thank you. 
We rejoice in our struggles today, Father, because they are a reminder that you love us, a reminder that you're there for us, a reminder that, that we can grow and mature, a reminder that, that we can continue, Lord, to serve you and mature in you. Lord, if there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you, that they would do so today. For those in here, Lord, that are struggling today, let them know they can continue to follow you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.